Welcome to the Art and Joe podcast. You're listening to Memories, part of a collection of music available at www.bensound.com. I'm Landon Thomasma, owner and operator of Art and Joe, Stillville, Missouri's own little coffee shop. In these files, you'll find a collection of sermons, devotions, stories, and musings, whatever happens to be on my heavily caffeinated mind. I hope you might find something useful somewhere in there. This week we're going back to a sermon that I preached in June at uh, Steelville Presbyterian Church, June 12th to be precise. The scripture is Luke chapter 7 verse 36 through chapter 8 verse 3. And the title is, If Jesus Only Knew. I just finished reading To Kill a Mockingbird. Complete total ripoff. I read it cover to cover, and nowhere in the book did it explain how to kill a mockingbird. (laughs) Sometimes our common knowledge of things is not quite what we assume it to be. The more you delve into the actual accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, indeed the life and ministry of anyone in the Bible, the more you tend to stumble across things we all assume we know, but not accurately. The story of the woman who washed Jesus' feet is a good example. We think we know the story, but a closer look can yield some surprising results. So let's read. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now, if you're like me, the first name that comes to mind when this story comes up is Mary Magdalene. It's common to relate this story to her, particularly because her name is mentioned right afterwards as one of the women who were regularly in Jesus' retinue. But even though versions of this story exist in all four Gospels, none of them refer to the woman as Mary Magdalene. Whoever it might be, Only Luke mentions that the woman in question was known as a sinner. And Luke is the only one who chooses to focus on the woman's reputation rather than the disciples' indignation over the cost of the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Now, the Pharisees had been around a long time at this point. We're not actually sure how long, but they date back at least to the Maccabees and the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem. Pharisee comes from a word meaning pure or separate. They were driven by the idea of establishing a pure adherence to God's law. Now, they didn't make this up out of whole cloth. They reached back into Israel's history to help them understand just where the pitfalls lay that might cause people to stumble. They looked at the story of David and Bathsheba, for example, one of our other readings this week. Now, here's another story we know, but let me recap. King David, in a weak moment, spotted a woman bathing on a neighboring rooftop and had to have her. Unfortunately, she was the wife of Uriah, one of his most loyal generals. And when she wound up pregnant with the king's child, David found himself in a PR nightmare. In the end, after trying a number of more subtle solutions, 
he finally was forced to send Uriah into the thick of battle and see to it that he was killed. That left Bathsheba a widow, and David graciously took her as his wife, everything neatly tied up in a neat little PR coup. Except Nathan the prophet was not fooled. He made David see the seriousness of what he'd done, killing one of his closest supporters and friends to cover his own adultery, abusing his position of authority, and involving the entire kingdom in the betrayal. And as if to confirm David's guilt, the child Bathsheba bore died, barely a week old. This is a story that taught the Pharisees a great deal about sin. They learned three major lessons. One, sin is subtle. It waits for a weakness. It strikes at the point you're most vulnerable. It can even appear to be something good, pleasurable, even beneficial, not only to you, but to everyone around you. Two, sin leads you astray. It builds on itself. You do one wrong thing and you start doing more wrong things to cover it. You can see that with lies. Tell one lie and then you have to tell another lie to cover the first, and then more lies to cover that and so on. There's a reason that people say that the truth is easier to remember. Three, sin hurts more than just the sinner. It was a given that we lived in community, and so it affected one person created ripples that eventually affected that whole community. It still holds true today, no matter how disconnected we think we are from one another. So this is where the Pharisees are coming from. The kingdom of Israel was split apart because of sin, fought amongst each other because of sin, lost their way entirely because of sin. In the end, foreign armies overran both Israel and Judah, and they were all carried off into captivity, all because sin led them into forsaking God's commandments, the covenant God had given them to keep them free and prosperous. So when they were finally able to return and rebuild Jerusalem and reestablish the temple, the Pharisees found a solution. Their idea was to place a hedge of procedures around the law, procedures that could be clearly explained and clearly followed and would ensure that the law couldn't be violated. You did these things, then the law would remain inviolate and God's blessing would always be on Israel. Boom! So this Pharisee, this man hosting Jesus, this man named Simon the leper in the other Gospels. He's got this background of knowledge behind him coming into the scene. And what tripped him up, what still trips us up today, is how he applied that knowledge. One, sin is subtle. It sneaks up on you. So, if I'm aware of someone whose sin is worse than mine, I'm safe. Sin can't sneak up on me. Two, sin leads you astray. So, if someone's been led further astray than me, it means I'm in a safer position than they are. I can't be as bad off. Three, sin affects the whole community. So, if I can keep myself separate from those people whose sins are the most obvious, I'll be safe. Their sin can't corrupt me. A woman comes into the room, kneels at Jesus' feet, and pours an expensive perfumed ointment on them. And Simon's reaction is to think, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who was touching him. <laughs> but this is so typical, not just of the Pharisees, but of us today. This assumption of Jesus' ignorance is one of the biggest mistakes we make as Christians. 
If only Jesus knew what was going on here, he'd come and give you what for. Or, it's more subtle opposite, it's a shame Jesus lived back then and not today, when we all have such a better understanding of the world. We know so much more than him now. Yeah. Joke's on you, Simon. Not only does Jesus know exactly who and what this woman is, he also knows exactly who and what you are. And to help Simon see himself more clearly, Jesus uses a context Simon can easily understand. Debt. For the Pharisees, the covenant of God, you will be my people and I will be your God, established an obligation on mankind. Obedience was the debt we owed I am for being our God. <laughs> but God wants more than just a race of debtors. A constant state of indebtedness can make the debtor resent and even hate his benefactor. God wants to restore us as his children. The law was designed for this. That's why the Hebrew word is mitzvah, which means blessing. Our obedience blesses God and blesses us in return. So Simon is focused on how much more obedient he's been than the woman in question. Jesus turns his focus on how much of Simon's obedience has been blessing and how much has been obligation. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Simon didn't do any of those things because he wasn't obligated to. There were specific cultural expectations when a Pharisee hosted a holy man in his home, but they didn't require any of that. So Simon was on safe ground in terms of his obligations, but not in terms of his mitzvah. He did nothing out of what was expected of him to bless Jesus. And in that comparison, this woman who was a sinner had beaten Simon and the Pharisees hands down. Now the same applies to us. Our salvation isn't riding on the things we want to do in the community, like these, these, these cooking lessons we want to make available to people. But our salvation isn't what we're saved for. God's kingdom is the object of our redemption. God's kingdom isn't about being safe because someone else is getting worse than you. God's kingdom is about making new disciples, about learning to emulate and imitate our loving Father and teaching others to do the same. If there is any competition, any comparison, it needs to be the kind Paul recommends in Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Amen. You've been listening to the Art and Joe podcast. You can find Art and Joe at 105 East Main Street in Steelville, Missouri, the heart of the Ozarks. Just look for the big yellow sign that says, You Need a Cup of Coffee. You can visit our website at artandjoe.ntunes.com. That's art, A-N-D, Joe, at n-t-o-o-n-z.com. 
or drop by our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Art A&D Joe. Thank you for listening and God bless.